Hello and welcome to The Weekly Skeptic, episode 36. I'm Nick Dixon and I'm joined by part of the problem, Toby Young. Coming up, we ask, is Jordan Neely the new George Floyd? Who won the Fraser Myers-Andrew Bridgen debate? And should losers be allowed to protest against the king? Plus loads more stories and, of course, peak woke. But Toby, I thought I'd start with these uh, protesters. I may have already tipped my hand a little bit there with the intro, <laughs> calling them total losers. But um, So the police have expressed regret that six anti-monarchy protesters from the Republic campaign group were arrested ahead of the king's coronation after deciding no charges will be brought against them. But the force said it believed items found alongside a large number of placards could be used as lock-on devices. So it's this locking-on question. If you can lock on to something, like gluing yourself to a football post, for example, or a painting or something, but also locking on can include linking hands. So they were saying, well, we couldn't lock on, we had no equipment. But you actually can just link hands and create a kind of, you know, a mobile human barrier or whatever you'd call it. So there is that. But there's perhaps the more interesting larger issue of, is this a free speech question? Well, obviously it is. And it was so funny to see all the lefties. I mean, so funny is an exaggeration. It was mildly amusing to see them all complaining about this, whereas they certainly didn't care about treatment of anti-lockdown protesters. You know, they only care about their protests, basically. So obviously it was a free speech issue. And I can guess you'll probably say it should be allowed. But what do you think? But it was a bit off, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, the- I looked at the statement issued by the Metropolitan Police, and they did express regret, and that is the headline. But if you drill down into what they said, they regret the fact that the people they arrested, the organisers of the Republican protest, they regret the fact that they weren't able to attend the coronation. They don't say we regret arresting them. <laughs> um, and uh, so the police use this new power to search people they suspect of planning to disrupt a public ceremony, traffic, whatever. They've got these new powers under the Public Order Act to search suspects uh, without having you know, any evidence that they intend to do this before they're able to search them. So they've got these new powers. They use the new powers. And they found when they searched the rental van that the organizers had hired for the day, they found lots of these plastic, lockable plastic ties. Um, And the organizers said, yeah, they're just for holding together the placards in the van. Uh, We don't intend to use them to lock ourselves to railings or to police officers or to equerries or members of the royal family. Um, But the police arrested them having discovered these lockable plastic ties. Uh, Those, I think, were the grounds for arrest. They've now dropped all charges, dropped the bail conditions. One one slightly, I mean, as you say, the Free Speech Union did issue a statement condemning it when it happened. I went on GB News to condemn it. And of course, all these lefties have subsequently deluged my inbox at the FAT saying, why haven't you condemned this? I thought you were supposed to be a free speech organization. You're just far right, aren't you? Um, as I had to sort of patiently point out to all of them, no, no, I did condemn it. We condemned it. I went on a GB News. Here's a clip. Uh, it's the one Epstein of them had the- uh, callers all, all over again. You're it, it, calling it you up. Why are you on Epstein's Island? Let me patiently explain. <laughs> so I did that. Um, but um, uh, I do think it was a bit heavy-handed of the police. I, I, don't, think, um, I don't think you can fault the police for arresting the don't the, the just stop oil protesters or the extinction rebellion protesters on the morning of the coronation you know their track record suggests that they would have done some things to seriously disrupt the procession the ceremony um whether you know letting off rape alarms 
to try and disturb horses lying in front of carriages, etc. Um, so I think arresting them was fair enough. But um, the Republican protesters claim that they didn't intend to do any of those things. They were just going to peacefully protest by holding up placards, yellow placards saying, not my king. And I'm not sure the police have any convincing evidence that they did intend to go beyond that. Um, I mean, I don't sympathize with their cause, obviously. I think it was mean-spirited of them to try and stage such a protest. And of course, the, a protest along those lines took place nevertheless. It's just the organizers weren't there to organize it and they weren't present. Uh, one slightly suspicious thing, I don't know if you spotted this, but but Graham Smith, the the the, the leader of, I think, I think it's, are they called the Republicans or Republican? Anyway, he has a book coming out on June the 1st. I mean, so, you know, the cynic in me says, maybe, maybe this is all playing into his hands. He wanted this to become a big story. He was dying to be arrested um, uh, and become a cause celebrate because he's got a book coming out on June the 1st and this is publicity you can't buy. Um, but maybe that's just cynical. Maybe he arranged for it to come out on June 1st because, you know, it's a, a week or a two, couple of weeks after the coronation. That's obviously the right time to bring out a book restating the case for republicanism uh but yeah no i thought it was a bit heavy-handed of the police and i i, I think that for me the kind of the most irksome thing about it is that it it's it's it seized upon by the left to say look tory government hate civil liberties turning england into a turning britain into a fascist state um i think it probably helps the cause of republicanism a little bit and also you can imagine it being seized upon you know across the world by britain haters as kind of evidence that britain is descending into fascism thanks to the brexit loving tory fascist government so that it's annoying that you know we've given ammo to our enemies like that yeah graham smith the group is called republic and the book is called abolish the monarchy why we shouldn't, how we will. So subtlety is not one of his vices, but it's just, it's very in your face. But yeah, I mean, I can see why you would say that it's uh, cynically, but I mean, it's, it's good marketing, let's just say. But as you say, then again, when else would you do it? Fair enough. Uh, I'm kind of, so I'm torn on this. I mean, torn is too strong, I guess. Yeah, you have to be allowed to protest, but just hear me out on this, Toby. Would you trade Free speech, because we don't have free speech anyway, right? I mean, protests are all treated differently. BLM, we kneel for. Anti-lockdown protesters, we beat up. These ones, we're tough on as well. The Republicans, just stop oil, we're soft on or have been soft on. Especially those ones that were um, insulate Britain, we were very soft on, whatever they were called, the ones sat on the road. So we're, we, we seem to vary depending on how the state feels about the cause. So would you just trade free speech for an abs- a righteous absolute monarchy? who cracks down on everything, right? You can't say, not my king. but you, And you, to be fair, you can't protest lockdowns. But you probably, in this righteous monarchy, wouldn't even have such a thing as lockdowns. But that's another question. But but also, BLM would be stopped. Just Stop Oil would be extinction rebellion. They'd all just be crushed. What Would you trade? <laughs> well, I think it, it... I'm not sure I would trade, but just thinking about it, wouldn't it depend on who the absolute monarch is? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I would um, place much confidence in King Charles as an absolute monarch. I mean, he'd immediately, you know, scrap petrol and diesel driven cars. He'd force us to ration electricity. Um, He'd start pulling down, you know, um, masterpieces of modern architecture to be replaced by kind of Lego-like traditional quote-unquote villages. Um, So, you know, he'd make, you know, how to talk to plants mandatory as part of the national curriculum. I'm not sure I trust him as an absolute monarch. Princess Anne, on the other other hand, yeah, I might be able to live with Princess Anne as an absolute monarch, but then 
who would succeed her? Um, you know, uh, William, um, he seems to have bought into a lot of uh, wokus pocus as well. Um, and if he died, you know, um, I guess it would be, I guess it would be um, Louis, wouldn't it? But um, there'd be a risk, wouldn't there, that uh, Prince Harry would get one step closer to becoming, you know, the absolute ruler of the United Kingdom. And of course, the real ruler would be um, Cersei in the form of uh, <laughs> Meghan Markle. So I think it's a bit risky, Nick, uh, when you think it through. Well, you have created a, a dystopian vision there. <laughs> but think about it, we'd have had Queen Elizabeth II for so long as an absolute monarch. Imagine what she could have done. She had great instincts, but obviously she's held back by the limited power she has now. But if she was an absolute monarch, she could have done so much. And you take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, then you take a woke green Charles... But then maybe you get someone else based comes along. You know what I mean? That, that's just how it works. I'm thinking about yeah. trading, <laughs> trading for that. <laughs> I'm not if I get the option. You're assuming that, you know, it would be Owen Jones and Jolian Moore in the tower and not us. But that may be, that may be wishful yeah. thinking. Maybe I'll take the risk. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, you, you look, the annoying thing was all these people that didn't care. And actually, people were finding tweets from various people being pro-suppressing dissent during lockdowns and so on but they suddenly it's like oh the republicans need a voice and it's like it's a decorum issue as well isn't it? they could have waited a day even though it's a free speech issue they could have waited it's like you know they can do it if they want but aren't you a bit of a dick if you just come up with your not my king sign isn't it just like give it a rest mate for one day or do you think it's just like yeah. the best time to do it to get it's, attention it's sort of yeah it's like it's like it's a, being a bit of a party pooper, isn't it? What, what more generally? What what was your take on the coronation? Did you watch it? Did did the Christian symbolism resonate with you as a Christian? Um, do you think that um, that 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 did you detect a kind of indifference, a sort of general underlying indifference? Were street parties in your area poorly attended? There was one. There was a fireworks display in Acton Park, and probably the most depressing message of the day was um, from one of my neighbours saying that she was at the fireworks display and there were very few people there. Um, and I thought that was quite depressing. The idea that people are just a little bit bored, indifferent to the monarchy, that it doesn't resonate in the way that it used to. And if you look at young people, you know, lots of them profess not to really care much about the question of whether we have a monarch or not. Uh, so it's becoming just a kind of, you know, irrelevance. Um, that aspect of it, you know, the evidence of, of indifference to it all, I found quite depressing because um, I found it in some ways quite moving. And, um, you know, I like the kind of the, the, the odd, oddness of it all. I don't know if you saw the Nick Cave's justification for going when he was kind of asked by some angry Australian Republicans, why he was going, you know, what would the young Nick Cave think? And, um, and he said he was going because, you know, he liked the weirdness of it. It was kind of unique and eccentric. And uh, it was it was typically British. And it was a great opportunity to see it up close. And there was something sort of both kind of silly and simultaneously or inspiring about it. He maybe gave a very good, articulate, eloquent kind of defense of himself for attending and i i felt a bit like that myself i like the fact that it is eccentric and bizarre and unique to britain um and it's part of what makes britain special why do we want to become you know just another republic you know there are enough of those you know why get rid of you know one of the few institutions that that makes us a little bit different that makes us unique um so i like i like that about it i like the fact that there is at the heart of british public life something kind of deeply mystical and irrational as well um and I, it, part of the argument part of the republican argument is that 
you know, um, is that is that it's a symbol of inherited privilege, um, it, 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 and and as a symbol, it kind of um, buttresses the class system, and if we get rid of the monarchy, we'll become um, a less class bound society that will somehow, at least symbolically, get rid of inherited privilege. Um, but 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 I don't think it'll make any any. I don't think getting rid of the monarchy will make Britain any more meritocratic. After all, there's less intergenerational equality of opportunity in the United States than there is in the United Kingdom, even though the United States has been a republic for more than 200 years. Um, and there isn't any reason to think that republics are any more meritocratic than constitutional monarchies. I quite like the idea of, of this reminder that Britain isn't a particularly meritocratic society because it enables people who aren't doing very well to tell themselves, well, the reason I'm not doing well is because I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Look at the idiot who's our king. He's only our king because, you know, he, he's the beneficiary of hereditary privilege. So it's like, this is one of my father's arguments um, against meritocracy. You know, it, it, the survival of the hereditary principle, the fact that we're not yet a fully realized meritocratic society provides a sort of comfort blanket to those people not doing terribly well. And in any society, you know, I'm with Jordan Peterson, humans like to organize themselves in unequal hierarchical societies. Um, so there's always going to be a majority of people um, who, who aren't doing particularly well, um, who aren't at the top of the pyramid. Um, and uh, this, 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 this enables them to live with themselves. The reason I'm not at the top is because I didn't inherit great wealth. I didn't go to a posh school, didn't go to an ancient university. I'm just an ordinary Joe, didn't get the breaks. Um, mm. And a monarchy helps people tell themselves that story. So it's quite an important kind of way of holding our society together and ameliorating, ameliorating the impact of, of wealth inequality and socio-economic inequality. Well, I find that a slightly perverse argument. I mean, no offense to your, your dad, but it was, it's like, it's quite a strange argument because that's the victim argument for, for the left. Like, well, what can I do anyway? It's all, it's all stacked against me from the start. It's all privilege. I do believe meritocracy is better. And Peterson talked about competence hierarchies. You know, he didn't just, he, he talked about dominance hierarchies, but he also talked about competence hierarchies. He's saying that there is an element of, of meritocratic fairness in it. He's saying there's an element that's not fair, but there's a strong element that is fair and is based on certain character traits and working on yourself and various things. So he's not saying it's all hereditary. He's, I mean, he's Canadian, of course. He's saying it's very much possible to move up it if you try. So I'm not sure about that aspect. The, the, the Nick Cave statement I did really like, I thought it was really good. I mean, Cave's been very sound lately. And he made some funny comments. He said that you, the way to be a rebel now is be a conservative Christian, things like that, which he said at that unheard uh, interview. Um, well, as for the coronation, Toby, of course, I liked Penny's sword. I think like everyone did. I made the comment that um, Meghan Markle was at home Googling slightly bigger sword because she must have been so gutted watching that thinking, I could have been there with the big sword. What am I doing? You know what I mean? She could have been there with an even bigger sword getting all the attention. That's what she'll do now. She'll come out with some sort of Netflix series where she's like a Xena warrior princess just with a series of massive swords. That's what I predict. But um, on the actual ceremony, Toby, I have to confess, I mean, Christine Hamilton was was uh, grilling me on this last night. I, I didn't actually watch much of it. And that's nothing to do with my lack of patriotism or lack of belief in the, the monarchy, but it's it's all to do with my just inherent antisocial nature and, and introversion and just if there's a big crowd doing something I, I tend to just not be interested in it even though I've, even if I approve of it I almost can't help it you know I'm supposed to be at a party but I'm at home working on my podcast you know this is just what I do this is how I am so I didn't really 
But then, and it's a bit like people criticize me, like, I'm not like, you know, they say, well, which church do you go to, Nick, and how often do you go? And so, and I always say, look, I'm the sculptor, not the clay, guys. I advocate ideas that I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily follow. It's my, it's my job to just advocate them. So I missed a lot of it. So I don't have a great, a great comment on that. I did, however, follow all the incredibly ridiculous attacks on it, which I was going to bring up. The, uh, the Bridgerton one was a big one, wasn't it? The, uh, this woman, and let's see how you pronounce her name. So Anjoa Ando, which may be the wrong pronunciation, but then again, I am terribly white. And this was her point. She, she, she claimed, well, she was on TV and she said, we've gone from the rich diversity of the Abbey to a terribly white balcony. And she since said that she didn't mean to upset anyone with that comment, but it's had huge blowback. And this is very interesting because we've been in a culture for years now where you can just say anything you want about white people, they're evil scum, and you're just applauded for it. Whereas we do seem to be turning a corner now, in my opinion, to where the average person hears that and just goes, tell you what, piss off. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. had more blowback than you'd think. Yeah, to me, it, 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 all the fact that most of the criticisms, or at least the criticisms that kind of got the most airplay, were criticisms of the um, ethnicity, the skin color of the royal family, of who was standing on the royal balcony. Um, that suggests, you know, that the left is just morally bankrupt. Um, you would have thought this would be a great occasion um, for making the case for greater economic equality. You know, it costs two hundred and fifty million. Um, the royal family is one of the richest families in the world. King Charles is now richer than his mother. Um, they own, you know, the seabed around parts of the British Isles, which they're going to uh, lease to, um, you know, um, uh, green energy companies, so they can put windmills on them. Um, uh, it, there are lots of great arguments I think you can make if you are a kind of an old-fashioned socialist egalitarian against the monarchy, and this would have been a great occasion to do so. But very few people did. Um, uh, no, the main argument was that um, it's just not diverse enough as an institution. We don't mind King Charles and his immediate family having these vast resources. Um, we don't mind the fact that they are. Um, almost unimaginably wealthy. No, we mind the fact that there aren't any black people in the royal family, or the one quote-unquote black person there was isn't at the ceremony. Um, it's just sort of pathetic, isn't it? Um, uh, and as you say, I think most people now just kind of uh, are just irritated uh, by comments like that. Um, uh, and the people making them just look incredibly foolish. I don't know if you saw, um, but uh, Jolien, another Jolien, God help us, how many more can there be? Jolien Rubenstein um, said, uh, I think he, he posted on Twitter a picture of um, Charles and Camilla, William, Kate on the balcony waving to kind of their, all the people in the, in the Buckingham Palace garden um, uh, and said, um, Alexa, uh, show me a picture of white privilege. It's like, Jesus. I mean, surely Jolien, you are a better illustration of the principle of white privilege than um, than our royal family. I mean, you won a BAFTA and you're almost completely talentless. Do you think you would have won one if you were black? I don't think so. Well, yeah. Not only did I see it, Toby, I responded to it and said, people call Jolien out here talking about privilege. And it's got 3,245 likes, so obviously struck a nerve. I mean, if you are called Jolien, whatever it's pronounced, you might want to not say that. And there was a similar one, wasn't there, from Charlotte Proudman, one of the lowest IQ people on Twitter, starting to think it's a parody account. 
And she said, the only person of color in the royal family isn't present because Meghan Markle was bullied out. Here is the modern royal family, exclusively white and privileged. We pay for this. I mean, do they, what, do they want forced interracial breeding? I mean, what is the argument here? And then she had another bizarre tweet where she referred to Diana as an adolescent at 21. She had her first child at the age of 21 when she was still an adolescent. It's like... Yeah, what? that's that's just, a pretty. How thick are you? So, <laughs> just must be trolling at this point. Absolutely, I know. Pathetic. I, just while we're on this kind of um, uh, identity politics theme, um, did you see one of the stories which broke over the weekend was that Boris Johnson, when PM, advised King Charles not to apologise for slavery, and he said, "If you do, um, you'll find it very hard not to uh, have to start paying reparations." And if and you know and, and it'll be a bottomless well, and you'll end up having to sell the Duchy of Cornwall in order to, in order to foot the bill. That's a really good argument, and one I imagine really hit home. Very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, um, and uh, uh, and maybe that is why he hasn't. Uh, I don't think. I mean, I think he has made apologetic noises, um, and I wonder. Did you see that um, Kits and Nevis and various other uh, Caribbean? Commonwealth countries um, are now, you know, saying it's time for a debate. They've been holding off out of respect for Charles. They didn't want to ruin his big day. They didn't want to bring it up before he becomes king, lest it's, you know, people start objecting to him becoming king on the grounds that it's stirring up, you know, a bit of uh, dissent within the Commonwealth. So he's they've politely refrained until now. Now that he's now that the coronation has taken place, of course he was king before that, but now that he's been formally crowned um now they want the debate to take place and no doubt there'll be arguments for it to take place elsewhere australia but i wonder if you know what what the prime minister of um kits and nevis is building up to is um pay us 100 million by way of reparations for for slavery and we'll remain in the commonwealth but that's the price charlie boy i'll yeah. be surprised it's, we did it on headliners last night on a on a show beset by technical problems. But we did the that story, and it was Saint Kitts and Nevis. It's Grenada are considering it. Belize is a huge list. Australia, as you say, and you say they've waited out of respect. I say they're cowards. They waited for the beloved queen to die, and they're like, right, let's have a pop at the vulnerable monarch. And now they all want to leave. I mean, what are they going to gain from leaving or staying? Really, I mean, who really cares what they do? To be honest with you, but like, you know, why, why do they all suddenly want to leave? I mean, what, what's what's this great freedom they're going to gain? I find it all very annoying. Yeah, I think it should be. I think he shouldn't apologize. No, I think it's a grift. Um, yeah, they're trying to prompt him to offer them large sums of money by way of reparations. That um, makes sense. Uh, yeah. I want a day of celebration for ending slavery. I want to call upon our king to have a day of celebration for England ending slavery, and we just call it England ending slavery Legends Day or something, and we just say we ended it, guys. <laughs> you're welcome. You're you're yeah. welcome day. That's not a bad idea. That's a good. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, an abolitionist day of celebration. Yeah, we could have we could have yeah we could have abolitionist month um, instead yeah. of um, Black History Month. Um, yeah, and then we pre- we pressure well, Turkey well to apologize well. for the Ottoman Empire while we celebrate. We say, guys, why can't you be like us? We ended slavery. A lot of you are still doing it. What's going on? And we should that be a great day. And we we bring up all the slavery still happening around the world, and we say, yeah. why can't you follow our example? That would be a great day. <laughs> so what about, speaking of ingratitude, what about the Liverpool fans booing? This is one you wanted to bring up. They booed the national anthem and they sort of cheered and shouted over it as well, kind of just generally disrupted it. And the fact that the players didn't even really know where to sing it anymore and it was all very awkward. I mean, it's just classic Liverpool, isn't it? Classic Liverpool, yeah. Um, I mean, they've always been, uh, they've always had this kind of strong connection to um, uh 
the Republic of Ireland and the cause of republicanism. So um, not all that surprising. And of course, Everton, um, which is um, a little bit different, um, they cheered and sang the national anthem at QPR. I went to saw uh, QPR Bristol yesterday, last home game of the season. We lost 2-0, bloody typical. We've lost now 12 home games, which is um, an all-time losing record. I knew we'd, I knew we'd, we'd, we'd chalk up one record this season, but that... Jesus. Anyway, um, I taught my, I was with my three sons and beforehand I taught them all the, the words of the national anthem so they could sing along when it was played in the stadium just before kickoff. And yeah, they sort of half and half-heartedly made an effort. So I think I, I thought I've done my bit. Well, I hear that we, we don't sing it at the correct tempo either. We should, it should be more up tempo and we turn it into this kind of dirge. So if we'd made it a bit more up tempo, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was very slow at, at, at um, QPR. It was I, I kept getting ahead of you know the the music. And, <laughs> um, and we need all the extra verses as well. What about the confound their knavish tricks? We all we, we want to bring. I want to bring all those. They're the fun verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't want to sing confound their knavish tricks? What is Absolutely. Some, yeah. What what is the full line? Toby? something their politics confound their knavish tricks. Oh, yeah, I didn't um, learn that bit. I only learned the first two verses. Oh no, we need, we need the whole thing. I should have I should have prepared this. I mean, this is who wouldn't want to sing that? I'll, I'll just oh yeah, there's the first. Sorry, where's the where's the neighbor's trick? Let me just find it. I should know. We should all know this. Oh Lord, our God, arise, scatter our enemies. I guess it's going for and make them fall. <laughs> Confound their politics, frustrate their neighbor's tricks. I actually got it wrong. That's how that's how little we say that verse. On thee, our hopes we fix. God save us all. That's the best verse. Confound their politics, frustrate their... Who doesn't want to frustrate their knavish tricks? Yeah, yeah. This is such a good song. I mean, we need to say it faster, sing it faster, and we need to do the frustrate their knavish tricks bit. That's my call. And then we need to celebrate ending slavery at the end. Um, so that was the coronation. Do you want to quickly do this um, sort of 1.5 on that story, which is um, whether the Queen called Meghan evil. So it's been reported in The Spectator from an alleged source, it was all very alleged and very questionable, but that the Queen said that Meghan was, well, saw right through Meghan and said she was evil. And I would like, I'd love it if she did that. It'd be so based. Like, She's evil. I'd, I'd just love it if that actually happened. But I happened to be in the green room last night with uh, Quasi Kwarteng, who was, seemed like a pretty nice guy. And Christine Hamilton, I always get on well with him. Belinda was there as well, Delucy and and, and uh, Benjamin Butterworth. And uh, we were actually having a good banter, and, and I said, come on, Quasi, did the Queen say that Meghan was evil? He's like, no, I can't believe she would have done it. She would never have done it. She, I, I met her twice. She was far too discreet. He said she would never have done that, and Christine was like, no, she'd never have done that. So what do you think, Toby? Yeah, I was trying to find out the source of this story because, like Quasi, um, I do think it's uh, slightly implausible. I can't imagine the Queen would have said something so undiplomatic and so forthright. Um, uh, I mean, it's possible, I suppose, if she, if she, if she was, you know, thought she was just surrounded by entirely, you know, discreet, friendly people. But um, it comes from a piece by Cara Kennedy in um, the Spectator World, um, and uh, and and she just says um, a source close to the Queen, um, uh, but she also then mentions uh, Tom Bowers forthcoming book. Uh, so Bauer recently published um, the biography of Boris Johnson, which contained various revelations about Stanley Johnson. He's a kind of veteran Fleet Street hand, um, has written 
numerous biographies which contain often contain you know headline grabbing revelations and she 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 says uh, that his latest book uh, the one he's working on at the moment hasn't been published revenge megan harry and the war between the windsors um uh, cites uh, unnamed sources that claim the queen once remarked of her husband's funeral thank goodness megan is not coming so um maybe maybe actually tom bauer is the source and we're going to learn more about this i'll just check his book is forthcoming um uh, or whether it's been published yeah, he's a frequent already. GB News contributor. Uh, Always interesting. Looks like no. It looks like it's. It looks like it's. Um, looks like it's already out. So there you go. So it can't be. It can't be in this book unless it's in the forthcoming paperback version or something. Um, no, it came out last year. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe it. Um, even though it's you know it's obviously true. <laughs> I don't believe the Queen <laughs> said it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, it's good to talk to Quasi about. I think he give him another crack at the economy. Seems a decent bloke to me. Um, seemed all right. He was he was nice, much more friendly than a lot of the people I come across. Not not that you know, lots of people at GB are friendly, but he he was amongst the most friendly. I thought so. He's got my vote just because I've met him. Bring him him and trust back. That's what I base it on. Whether I've met you in the green room and you're nice, pretty decent system. Um, yeah, no, I've I've always been quite impressed by Quasi when I've met him. He's sort of um, he has a kind of languid, aristocratic manner. He's sort of. Uh, uh, but it, 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 in, in, in quite a, but it sort of combines it with with kind of charm and a, and a slight degree of self-deprecation. Um, but uh, no, I think he's always he's always uh, uh, I've always found him pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go on to the local elections? Speaking of uh, Tory politicians, so the Tories got smashed. Basically, lost over a thousand seats. But it wasn't like everyone necessarily flocked to Labour because a lot of people went for the Lib Dems and the Greens. And uh, but Labour are now the largest party of local government, overtaking the Conservatives for the first time since 2002. John Curtis had an interesting piece in the Spectator about whether this is death for the Tories. He sort of ends by saying it could be salvageable, though his argument to me wasn't particularly convincing because he said that um, Labour's lack of positive appeal is the one chink of light to emerge for Conservatives from the local election results. That's true. Perhaps it means lost Tory voters may yet be won back if Mr. Sunak can restore his party's own reputation, big if. After all, the Conservatives emerged from the 2013 local elections with an even lower share of the vote than they won this time around. Yet two years later, David Cameron secured an overall majority. But is Rishi Sunak capable of repeating Mr. Cameron's feat? Seems very unlikely to me, very different circumstances. But what was your take on the on these results, Toby? Yeah, it was, um, well... Clearly not fantastic for the Conservatives, but uh, not as good as it might have been um, for Labour. So um, uh, the I think the um, the the if you if you if, in terms of the percentage of the votes polled by each party, I think uh, Labour was seven points ahead of the Conservatives, which is considerably smaller than um, nearly all, if not all, of the opinion polls, which show a much bigger. Labour lead, and that suggests that um, it'll be much closer than the opinion polls currently suggest, um, or the general election will be closer too. Um, and interesting that um, rather than flock to Labour in um, a lot of the seats in the southwest, the southeast, um, people defected to 
Tory voters defected to the Lib Dems and the Greens, but not to not to the Conservative, not not to Labour. Um, so it it does to me suggest that Keir Starmer's still got a bit of a mountain to climb if he's going to form an overall majority. I think he's even got his work cut out to be the largest single party in um, the next Parliament. I mean, you know, well, he's a second-rate lawyer. He's not much of a showman. He's not particularly eloquent. He doesn't seem to passionately care about anything. His political judgment uh, isn't uh, infallible. Sue Gray, amongst other calamities. Um, uh, and, you know, if it's a competition to see who the most competent manager is, then surely Rishi wins that hands down. Um, so I don't think, you know, a Labour victory is a foregone conclusion. I think it's even possible that Rishi will get back with a reduced majority. So, um, yeah, all to play for, I think. There was this quite concerning, though, if you're a Tory anyway, concerning uh, statistic about about the people. I think it was something like it was one in four people who said they'd vote for Labour. Here we go. According to Servation's poll conducted on the eve of the local elections, nearly one in four of those who said they would vote Labour in a general election indicated that they had made a different choice for the local elections. So it may be that far more people will vote Labour in the general. That's what I get from that, unless I'm reading that wrong. Um, but whether they've just gone with Lib Dem or something for some sort of tactical reason. But but um, I am... Well, I, think, I'm, I, think, I think... Yeah. Go on. Well, I think I think the, the reasons for thinking that, you know, Starmageddon isn't inevitable. Uh, first of all, um, the late, Labour's current lead looks quite soft, and I think that was borne out by these local election results. Um, Labour polled, uh, Labour, Labour won the lowest number of seats um, uh, in 2019 uh, than at any time since 1935. So they've got, they've got to win an enormous number of seats if they're going to form an overall majority. Um, uh, the um, uh, most of Labour's voters are stacked up um, in, you know, um, urban centres, university towns, um, places like Cambridge, Oxford, Bath. Um, uh, they're not spread, not, not as spread out as the Conservative voters. So um, that means that, you know, even if they do have a poll lead, they won't necessarily win a general election. The boundary changes, uh, there have been some boundary changes, some boundary changes going through, uh, will slightly favour the Conservatives over Labour. Um, so, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, I think it would be premature to predict that Keir Starmer is going to win an overall majority. I mean, one final consideration. Um, Labour has had, I think now, 22, possibly 23 leaders in its history. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Keir Starmer is the 23rd, might be the 22nd. But only three Labour leaders have won overall majorities since 1906, so in the history of the party. Clement Attlee, um, Harold Wilson and Tony Blair. Um, no one else. So what are the odds that Keir Starmer is going to join that exclusive club or just be like one of the others? Hmm. I don't think they're very high. Interesting. Yeah. And there's an interesting paragraph from John Curtis here in The Spectator. He says, while Keir Starmer has improved his party's appeal, he has not turned it into a magnetic draw. I think that's fair. Despite the Conservatives' difficulties, and despite being four points higher than last May in the opinion polls, the party did little more in the local ballot boxes than maintain the share of the vote it was already enjoying last year. Indeed, it was running a percentage point or two below what Ed Miliband achieved in his best local election year 2012. So not even matching Miliband. So maybe maybe there's something in all this. On your managerial point, you know, Sunak being a better manager. Yeah, if one was to feel sorry for Sunak, if he wanted to go down that route, you would say that the fact that he's obviously better than if it's a war for competence. And I even said this to some of the remainers I was out with the other week. I was like, well, look, 
surely you, sh- you guys should like Sunak. He seems like competent. He's a managerial type politician, fairly bland. I don't know if I said bland because that might have been insulting, but he seems like their kind of politician. And if he happened to be the other color, Labour, red instead of blue, they would all like him. It's just, ch- but he's coming in at this impossible time. And I just don't think the Tories can pull it back given everything they've got wrong and how many people they've alienated. If they were football managers, who would they be? I mean, neither of them are Pep Guardiola, obviously. Um, not Ferguson. Uh, not Ferguson. Um, Ten not Hag? Jose Marino. Uh, so Rishi's Ten Hag. And, That's a bit too um, generous, I think. Maybe. R- r- yeah. Ten Hag's more intense. He's more intense. I think they'd be more like Southgate, wouldn't they? Starmer's probably Southgate, right? Starmer's Southgate, I'd say. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe maybe Rishi is, I don't know, um, uh, uh, Sean Deitch. Um, uh, <laughs> no, because Deitch is much uh, more rough and ready and tough, isn't he? I, Rishi's too slick for that. Isn't he a sort of, um, who's like a sort Tony of... Tony Mowbray. <laughs> well, who's like a sort of Mourinho type, but not as good as Mourinho? A kind of, um, uh, not... not uh, maybe he's like De Silva, the manager of um, Fulham. Possibly. He's, sort of, he's, he's like Marina, B-Tech version of Marina. B-Tech Marina, yeah. I'm trying to think who that would be. Uh, some faces are coming into my head, but not names. I've, I've, not been, I've been okay. too busy to even follow even my own team, Toby, even though we're doing all right. Although we're, apparently we've, we're slipping a bit now, which is, of course, is Man United, where suddenly we've lost a couple of bad ones. But um, I'm so busy, I can't even follow it, Toby. I don't know how you're following QPR. No one knows how you fit everything in, but I think there's a, a Toby clone, maybe. Um, but yeah, well, good, good, good question for the listeners. Who, which, which, which football manager... Is Rishi, and uh, we'll we'll figure it out by the end. It's definitely got to be one of the slim sort of continental ones, I think. Yeah, they're probably both championship managers, aren't they? Rather than <laughs> Premier League managers, if we're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Um, and I think it is like it, 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 I've always actually I've always thought that 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 politics actually that the kind of battle between Labour and the Conservatives, the electoral battle, is has more in common with championship games than it does with Premier League games. Basically, they just they. They just wait. They they both they both play defensive games, and they wait for the other side to make a mistake and try and exploit it. They no, they don't risk actually doing it, risking anything, um, uh, doing anything that actually requires a bit of talent. There's there's no possibility that either of them's gonna, either team is going to score a worldie. It's just a kind of war of attrition, kind of boring, wearing each other down, waiting for the other side to make a mistake, and then you pounce. That seems to be that's politics. It's not like the Premier League. Yes, I see your point. Did you see that thing about? Starmer's football team where he was he was really at half time they were down and he was really angry and he told them all like really sternly it was like a kind of Starmer that we've never really seen on the public stage but apparently in the football match he's like really aggr- and I believe it because I play with some North London people from the kind of Remainer class who are very uh, you know in their very official in their in their important roles in their jobs but they go mental on the football field so I could easily see that apparently yeah he, he just gave them a sort of dressing down um and um, and then, I don't, and then we were talking to someone last night. I don't know if we, he, I don't know if I should say it was in case it's like a secret anecdote. But he said he was playing as right back. This is a former Labour person. He was playing as as right back, and Starmer shoulder barged him. <laughs> it was a kind of Roy yeah. Keane figure in the in the team. Yeah, it, it sounds yeah, much more impressive figure he cuts at the what the Camden Academicals than he does in the House yeah. of Commons it's no, much better than he is at boxing remember that campaign where he tried to punch and he was punching like an alien who'd never seen a punch bag or, or boxing gloves it was absolutely insane it was one of the worst things <laughs> I've ever seen um, but on, on Starmer you wanted to raise this point that he has actually said that um, woke issues don't matter to the public this was in the Daily Mail so Starmer will tell his 
top team that woke issues do not matter to the public as he tries to build on Labour's success in the local elections. He believes the Tories have made a major strategic blunder in thinking that voters care more about such matters than the cost of living crisis and the NHS. The NHS trumps woke every day of the week, he will say, and perhaps has said now. But it's not separate, is it? Because the NHS is proposing to do... If you're doing gender mutilation treatments, whatever we're calling them, and if you're erasing women from any talk of... you know, In in menopause guidance, you're erasing the word women and so on and so forth, they're inseparable. And I I think it's the opposite. My sort of... Of course, maybe they've done polling, but my broad observation is that more and more people like my parents or whoever are becoming aware of these issues and are disgusted by them. Sex education in school going far too far and, you know, gender gender recognition nonsense and whatever thing you want to cite. Is he right on this, Toby? I think he's surely wrong. No, I think he's he's wrong. I mean, Matt Goodwin, amongst others, has been accumulating plenty of survey evidence for years that, you know, identity issues, flag faith and um, family, uh, uh, you know, uh, more important to people than... Uh, or at least as important to people as the kind of more bread and butter issues of cost of living, NHS, et cetera. And as you say, they're not obviously separable. Um, and if you look at a look at American politicians who've done well recently, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis won a landslide victory in Florida. He's gone all in on the kind of anti-woke ticket. Um, uh, uh, what was the other chap? Youngkin, um, uh, the governor of... Um, what is it, Arizona um, or Virginia, Virginia, North Virginia, South Virginia, one of them. Um, he did he did very well on a kind of anti-woke ticket too. Um, and Trump seems to be beating Biden in the polls and he's certainly leaning into all those woke issues. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe they have less salience here than they do in the US, but um, growing salience, I think. For me, that comment by Starmer felt like the usual gaslighting that the kind of woke come up with when anyone challenges their kind of takeover of the commanding heights of the cultural economy, which is to say, you know, just let us take over. Don't object. People are bored with hearing you object. Go off and, go off and talk to your GB news audience, you know, all those old age pensioners kind of raging at taking over the country. You know, that's your audience. That's who you are. We are the, we are the, we're on the right side of history you know, stop boring us with your objections to our complete takeover of everything that matters to you in your life. Yeah, that's what it felt like. More gaslighting. All right. Well, that was pretty much the uh, the local elections. So let's move on then and do our next story. And I was thinking we should do Fraser Myers versus Andrew Bridgen and their debate on Andrew Doyle's Free Speech Nation show. So the great Andrew Doyle, Saint Andrew Doyle, who, uh, who, who does Free Speech Nation, of course. Well, I've been on the show many times. You've been on the show. But... We talked about this last week, Fraser Myers attacking Andrew Bridgen, calling him anti-vax and so on, in spite, and it's gone down very, very badly with certain factions of Twitter, and I thought it was unnecessarily mean, and I thought Bridgen has some good points. And then they did the debate about this, which is good that they did it. Somehow Andrew Doyle is still being attacked by the purity police just for hosting it. I don't know how that's even happened, but there's people attacking him for just for hosting it, even though he seemed completely impartial to me, and he seemed to do a good job. Um, and I think it's great that Andrew did that. But... The actual debate itself, to me, Fraser seemed a bit nervous, which is fair enough because he's been criticised a lot for that and he's on live TV trying to debate. But he's against Bridgen, who is just an excellent debater. He you know, he does this for a living type of thing. He's a politician. You know, Fraser's probably doing a lot more writing for spite than he is debating. He probably does a certain amount of debating, but Bridgen's just super on it. So I felt Bridgen won the debate. doesn't necessarily mean he won the argument. It could just mean he's a better debater. I am, of course, more team Bridgen. And and I thought he did well, and and I thought Fraser was going for too many ad homs, and I thought he 
didn't really engage with the substance of, of Bridgen's argument. And Bridgen had a lot of statistics just, you know, top of mind, as the White House press secretary likes to say, and he was able to deploy them. So I thought he did better. The only place I think he's losing it a bit is on Twitter, where he, to me, unnecessarily is is making this link between Spiked and Pfizer. Who knows if that's got something in it? You know, there's this heart group here saying that Spiked Online have received funding. Can Spiked Online confirm whether they've received funding from Pfizer? And Bridgen's been saying the plot thickens. And then he's done another tweet today about that linking to a piece that Spike did in 2006, which was a survey of uh, scientists, and it was uh, conducted by Spike in collaboration with the research-based pharmaceutical company Pfizer, and this was in 2006. So, so Bridgen said the plot thickens further. Here's Spike bragging about their links to Pfizer. Now, to me, the whole implication there is like Fraser's like a mouthpiece for Pfizer, which I think is pretty silly. I think Fraser was just saying his opinions. So to me, it's much better for Bridgen to engage with the substance of what he's saying. But anyway, what do you think, Toby? I thought Bridgen did better in the in the debate, though, I'm, though you were more team Fraser overall last week. Yeah, I th- well, I think it was great that um, Andrew hosted this debate. And it was fantastic that Andrew and Fraser were willing to go head to head on live TV. We need more of that. Um, I thought the disappointing thing, the thing which made it a slightly wasted opportunity and the reason Andrew, I think, came over a bit better than Fraser is that Andrew is completely across this argument. He's immersed himself in it for the past six months or so. He he can set out the case for it all being essentially a conspiracy um, uh, driven by big pharma, um, big tech, uh, various billionaires. Um, he, he, he knows all the arguments. and you know, I'm very familiar with them because I hear James Stellingpole make them every week. Um, and um, the disappointing thing was that Fraser wasn't as familiar with them as someone more immersed in this debate would be. So didn't know the kind of standard rebuttals to all the various points that Andrew was making. Um, he, he just had to kind of fall back on, you know, saying that's just a conspiracy theory over and over again. Um, uh, now, I, I don't disagree with him. I think uh, many of the things Andrew was saying, not, not everything, but, but certainly some of the things were conspiracy theories. I, as you know, don't think it was all a conspiracy to enrich big tech and big pharma titans. And I don't think it was, you know, I don't think we were deliberately infected. I don't think the US Department of Defense was behind the manufacture of COVID-19 and the leak from a lab in Wuhan and all the rest of it, all the things Andrew was saying. But um, I don't think it's enough to just dismiss them as conspiracy theories. You need to come up with rational arguments as to why uh, they're implausible and why they're not supported by the evidence and why there are perfectly more sensible rational explanations for these various anomalies and bits of data and evidence that people like Andrew and other conspiracy theorists bring forward. Um, so um, I'd like to see a, you know, a, a, a debate between two people equally immersed in um, this territory. Um, uh, and I think the reason Andrew did better is because he was just able to kind of uh, pelt uh, Fraser, bombard Fraser with this kind of scattergun of um, this 
what do you call it? Um, uh, almost like a, a, a blunderbuss of pellets. Um, one argument, one bit of data after another, and 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 Fraser didn't really know how to kind of dismiss those arguments convincingly. So just kind of fell back on that's just a conspiracy theory. Um, so yeah, uh, great that the debate took place, but I'd like to see another one in which Andrew faces off against someone who's a bit more immersed in this whole debate. Hmm. All right. Well, maybe maybe that's enough on that. I mean, we, I think our listeners will have strong views either way, and they probably will more team bridging like me. Uh, but yeah, as you say, I think. I, I mean, think- I, I suppose I, it, one thing to say in in Fraser's defence is that you know um, I don't think you can blame him for not immersing himself more in this debate. I mean, the reason I'm immersed in it is in part because I do this weekly podcast with James Dellingpool, so. I hear these arguments over and over and over again. Um, uh, but for someone who, you know, who isn't as close to it as me, who doesn't edit something like The Daily Skeptic, which kind of tries to take a very even-handed, um, impartial, balanced approach between these two competing points of view, um, it's understandable that you, would, you wouldn't you would want to kind of, if someone says the Department of Defense manufactured the virus and oversaw the lab leak because of some diabolical plan to infect half the world with this new virus. Um, uh, You know, you kind of initially think, well, that's just crazy. Why should I waste my time coming up with counter arguments? You know, uh, it'll be enough to just dismiss it as a conspiracy theory because most people won't take it seriously. Um, But um, the problem is that lots of people do take it seriously. Um, So it isn't enough to dismiss it as a conspiracy theory. But you can understand why Fraser, you know, being a normal person, doing a normal job in journalism or comparatively normal compared to me, um, uh, couldn't couldn't kind of spend the time <laughs> to kind of painstakingly rebut all these crackpot theories. Although, aren't you straw manning bridging a bit, you know, saying it's all conspiracy theories? Doesn't he also have lots of legitimate points about vaccine harms, which Will has brilliantly covered in The Daily Skeptic with this excellent piece that fact-checked Fraser Myers' fact-checking for example, Mises claim that the vaccines, Will writes, are not gene therapy because they make no changes whatsoever to a patient's DNA. Misses the fact that from a regulatory point of view, gene therapy products include not only those which alter DNA, but also those which after the bio- sorry, alter the biological properties of living cells. So, and he says, this is why Moderna's November 2018 Securities and Exchange Commission registration s- statement says that it's MN, mRNA technology is considered a gene therapy product by the FDA. So, so when basically he's making the case that when bridging calls it a sort of experimental gene therapy, there is a, a case for it. So he says Myers is wrong. They, they are classed as gene therapy products. So I thought Will was incredibly thorough in sort of dismantling some of Fraser's more casual dismantling of, of Bridgen's point. Yes, yes. I mean, I think in, in some ways, Fraser was guilty of the same sin he accused Andrew Bridgen of. So he said in that debate, um, Andrew, you're discrediting um, some of your valid points by um, uh, simultaneously making some points which are very easy to rebut. So the same could be said, you know, of Fraser's takedown of Andrew Bridgen. He went too far and dismissed some of Andrew Bridgen's legitimate points and in that way discredited his overall attempt to discredit Andrew Bridgen. Um, I mean, on that point about um, whether 
the mRNA vaccines are gene therapy. Um, I think, of course, Will is correct. And the definition of gene therapy is broader than those who claim people like Andrew Bridgen, who refer to the vaccines as gene therapy, when they say they're, 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 making, they're making an error, this is just another facet of the conspiracy theory, they're wrong. Um, uh, but um, uh, I think more broadly, when people like Andrew describe the, the COVID vaccines as gene therapy, I think they're, they are very much wanting to imply um, that they do alter our DNA, that they fundamentally alter um, the kind of basic building blocks of um, our bodies. Um, and um, uh, I don't think they do. So I think they take advantage of that ambiguity and that slightly more capacious definition of what gene, what a gene therapy is in order to try and persuade people that they're more sinister than they really are. Okay. All right. So let's do our section on America that I don't know exactly what to name. Pond life. Across the pond life, pond scum was suggested. <laughs> We've had all sorts of names. We need to get a proper name for this section. Uh, or not, doesn't really matter, does it? But this is, um, first I thought we'd start with Jordan Neely, who they seem to be trying to make into a new George Floyd. Now this, of course, is the homeless man who was attacking people on the subway, then was choked to death by this former Marine who's now been doxxed. I don't necessarily need to repeat his name, but he has been doxxed by the Marines to the press, which seemed highly questionable. And some quarters on the left, AOC and the, and the like, are trying to make this Neely character into a hero. He seems more like a very troubled person whose mother was tragically killed, I think murdered, and then went off the rails. And he was arrested 44 times. There was an ongoing felony charge against him for assaulting a 67-year-old woman, I believe. Someone had posted on an internet forum saying, watch out for this guy. He, he tried to push me towards the tracks. Or I think they'd said a few days later, he, pushed, he tried to push me towards the tracks a few days ago. But there's a post from 10 years ago as well saying, avoid this guy. He's lost it. It says, remember the Michael Jackson dancer? Just heads up. This guy used to be okay, but he's kind of lost it lately. And be careful. And that was from 10 years ago, a post on some forum. Um, And the Guardian went full Guardian. They came out with this piece we covered on headliners. Jordan Neely, man killed by riders chokehold, was talented dancer. And it says, like, Jordan Neely had a fan club. He had a Facebook group which had like three members they don't mention. And uh, they have friends saying he was just a normal nerdy kid. And they do this whole hagiographical sort of puff piece on Neely. And it's kind of disgusting, really, because what we see from the left, and we've seen it from AOC saying, this is murder and it doesn't matter about charges. Let's all get this guy. We've seen it called a lynching kind of ridiculously. And we're in this culture now, especially in places like New York, where the criminal is thought to be the real hero. The criminal is the hero of society, mistreated by society. And the person saving people and protecting people are thought to be the villains. And you can't really have a society like that. But what was your take, Toby? Yeah, um, it's obviously uh, a tragedy. And um, But the Marine veteran um, who choked him um, until he became unconscious clearly wasn't intending to kill him and didn't anticipate that he would die. Um you know, it's 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 quite unusual. I mean, I'm not suggesting that anyone try this out, but it's quite unusual for people to die as a result of being choked out. There's even um, footage of him, sorry, putting him in the recovery position as well. Right, and he wasn't um, acting alone either. I mean, he's been portrayed as a kind of you know proto-white supremacist who was uh, uh, murdering an innocent black talented dancer 
to sort of satisfy his sadistic racist urges. Um, he was actually trying to protect other people on the subway and he wasn't acting, he didn't act alone. Other people helped subdue Jordan Neely, one of whom was a person of colour. Um, uh, but, but the fact that Jordan Neely is, 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 is no saint um, won't necessarily prevent him being canonised by the woke left because, after all, George Floyd was no saint either. And it actually became, I mean, at the Free Speech Union, we had to go to bat for people who got into trouble in their workplaces at universities um, for pointing out that um, George Floyd had a criminal record, including assaulting women. Um, uh, so uh, that didn't in any way um, seem to, you know, there was there was no, it wasn't possible to, to play the devil's advocate during the kind of canonization of George Floyd, nor will it be, I, I dare say, if there's an effort, as does seem to be, uh, to canonize Jordan Neely. But what's interesting is that um, it doesn't seem to be reducing anything like the um, uproar certainly not the civil unrest, or at least not yet, um, that the death of George Floyd did. Now, that's partly because he wasn't killed by a serving police officer. Um, uh, but it also feels partly because 2020 was a more febrile time that woke hadn't quite peaked at that point. It probably did peak um, as a result of the imbroglio, the protests, the civil unrest that followed the death of George Floyd. But it feels like, you know, we're on the... We're on the downward slope now. The apex of the swing has been reached, and it's now, it's now um, swinging back. So um, I don't anticipate Jordan Neely becoming another George Floyd, or this becoming another George Floyd BLM moment. Right, I agree, and I think people are sick of it. I think they're sick of this overplaying of the race card. I think they're sick of the demonization of certain races and the deification of other races, no matter what you do. And I think this is played out. And they're overdoing it, and it's not going to stick with this guy, I hope. And um, I have some further evidence of that as well with Tucker Carlson, if, unless you've got anything else to say about the no. Neely thing. Well, Tucker Carlson has been in the news a lot, of course, and we covered it last week, and he, he was fired from Fox, obviously. Now these text messages have come out about him, and in one of them, he said, he, he was talking about a sort of a fight that was going down with um, Antifa and so on. A, a group of uh, Trump supporters beat up an Antifa kid, apparently. And it was three against one, at least. And uh, Tucker said, jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. And this this could have been a massive scandal at some other time. But honestly, I really think because of this massive overplaying of the race card and, and, and used unjustly so often, people are just sick of it to the point where they're like, yeah, whatever. He said that. People say things in text. Like, I, I actually think people don't even care. I mean, have you heard that story taken on? I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that story go big, really. It's just like they tried to do it and no one really cared about it. Yeah, no one really cared. Now, I thought, you know, no one actually bothered to, because it didn't blow up in the way that, you know, his critics had hoped, and no doubt it was probably released by Fox as a way of, you know, doing damage control. Uh, it didn't blow up, so no one bothered to, you know, defend him. Um, but I, I, I thought, you know, you could make the defense that um, the phrase white man um, doesn't, or at least in the past, uh, hasn't always been used to refer to white men. It can mean, you know, a noble person, an honourable person. I mean, no doubt that would be dismissed as a kind of racist phrase and forbidden by <laughs> Google and God knows who else God. now. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, acting like a white man, um, it meant white as in the person in the Western wearing the white hat, a white knight. 
um, uh, 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 you know, a knight errant, someone coming to the aid of uh, a damsel in distress. And he could have, he could have meant, he could have been using the phrase white man in that old fashioned sense, just to mean someone with a sense of honor, whether black or white doesn't fight like this. Well, I'd be interested to see if you were Tucker's lawyer, whether that one would get very far. <laughs> I'd be a bit worried about that, that one. But uh, yeah, um, this was all part of the um, Dominion thing, of course. It, well, it, well, it's all part of the ongoing war between Fox and Tucker. In fact, Tucker has said he'll go to war, allegedly. So, so, so close, this is all alleged. Close sources have said he's been saying, I, don't want, I want to get this done quiet and clean. Get this done, meaning get out of his Fox contract, which apparently goes on until 2025. But then his source has said, now we're going from peacetime to DEFCON 1. His team is preparing for war. He wants his freedom. Carlson knows where a lot of body, bodies are buried, another source said, and he's ready to start drawing a map. So he's going to start drawing a map to the bodies. All very American. But yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. They've been clearly trying to discredit him through all these videos that have been released via Media Matters and places like that, where it's Tucker behind the scenes, lo and behold, being a funny and cool guy, I say, what do ladies actually do when they're in the bathroom? And they do they actually powder their nose? And it's like all this like funny sort of like stuff that is just like every time they release a video, everyone goes, "Oh, Tucker's a legend. He's exactly how we thought he was." You know what I mean? And he just yeah, uh, they're just I, not I, damaging at all. I wouldn't have thought that um, Tucker genuinely is going to set out to try and destroy his former employer. I imagine it's a threat in order to get his former employer not to continue to try to destroy him you know it's it's like a it, it, it's a bit of saber rattling it's um, it's saying if you continue in this vein and continue to release these supposedly embarrassing texts and audio clips and the rest of it um then it's mutually assured destruction so back off or i'll go nuclear i'm sure that's what it is and um in other american news you had a bud light update that was it was too many paywalls in the way so i didn't really, i couldn't really read it but what was the bud light update yeah so it was on epoch times which is quite heavily but they're not paywall but you have to kind of Take enter your email of address yeah. you have to enter your email address every time you go on the site which is slightly annoying um but uh, in this case worth it because it was actually quite an interesting um uh wrinkle to the whole kind of dylan mulvaney bud light debacle um which is that the the man the the ceo of 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 anheuser-busch claims that they'd never been intending to hire dylan mulvaney as a sponsor she was never um a sponsor of bud light the beer can that blew up went viral when it was posted on social media was just a sample because she was one of several potential partners they were considering making a deal with, but the deal hadn't been done and they'd actually rejected the idea. Um, and he claims that Bud Light is the victim of a misinformation campaign. He doesn't actually accuse, you know, Coors Light of being behind it. It doesn't go full Team James, but um, he, he certainly certainly says that, um, you know, we did not hire Dylan Mulvaney as a Bud Light sponsor. We didn't put her on any beer cans apart from the sample beer can. Um, uh, it's all been blown out of proportion, um, and we are suffering unjustly for just considering this. You know, people are people are pretending it went far further than it did, um, uh, and you know, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, I mean, I was completely, I was, I, I didn't think for a second that Bud Light hadn't entered into a fully fledged sponsorship agreement with Dylan Mulvaney. And turns out, if this goes to be be believed, that that they hadn't, they were just considering it, and these were just kind of uh, mock up pieces of merch rather than 
actual merch. Um, uh, against that, um, I think uh, Dylan Mulvaney hasn't hasn't kind of hasn't said that she was never never going to be he. a Bud Light sponsor. Sorry, he, sorry, yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and um, at one point, he um, <laughs> described himself as a Bud Light partner. I think there was a hashtag. Bud Light, hashtag Bud Light partner, something like that. Um, so who knows if um, if the CEO is being um, completely truthful? But if he is, it did make me think twice. I mean, I'm never going to buy Bud Light anyway, even if the sponsorship deal had never even been a twinkle in anyone's eye. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe people are being slightly unfair towards Bud Light. I don't think so. Scorched Earth on Bud Light continues. Destroy Bud Light and anyone who goes woke. We're fighting back and we're winning, guys. My other American story I wanted to do quickly that you didn't want to do is <laughs> Roger Stone claims that Michelle Obama is running for president and will replace Joe Biden as the 2024 Democrat presidential nominee, he believes. And I um, cheekily said, at least we're guaranteed a male president. And you didn't really know about this, Toby, <laughs> but it's a long running sort of meme on the internet that Michelle Obama is actually a man called Michael it's not an attack on her appearance. It just lit- is a literal claim that she's a man. So her children were IVF. No one's ever seen a picture of her pregnant. Obama himself, meaning Barack, has referred to her in several videos as Michael. He says he just says Michael and then corrects himself. Now, who says that about their wife? Have you ever accidentally called your wife like Steve or something and then corrected yourself? Like, why would it even be in your mind? And obviously, people have shown the photographs of like, an uh, area, you know, an area where a, a penis may be. I think those are less compelling because there's various things that could be. The most compelling to me is him accidentally saying Michael. There's these old pictures where she seems quite male in appearance, and basically the, the internet take is that she's definitely a man. I don't know what we're allowed to say legally. I'm just saying some people, many people, claim that she's a man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just asking questions. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, the reason I was slightly reluctant to discuss this story is because um, I don't want you to turn into James Dellingpole. Um, <laughs> you know, week after week, I have to listen to these crazy theories coming out of James Dellingpole's mouth. One of them recently was that Greta Thunberg is, in fact, a man. Um, That's ridiculous. Uh, which, uh, Michelle never... <laughs> is. Michelle is Michael. Well, you know, as part, as part of your case, which you set out, um, you, you sort of uh, you, you, you rattled through it quite quickly. But I thought I caught you saying, uh, no one's ever seen a picture of Michelle Obama pregnant. Um, I just Googled Michelle Obama pregnant and clicked on images. And I'd advise you to do the same because no, there no. is a cornucopia. They're of all AI. Of Michelle Obama. I don't think they are. They're AI. If you look at them, okay. I, I've looked at them. They're all... Now you sound like James. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought that as well. This I is... looked at them. They're AIs. Uh, uh, I don't you, think they're so. very good AIs now. Have, have you looked deeper into those ones? They are actually AI. And then there's ones that aren't her. There's one here that isn't her that that comes up if you if you Google that. And there's one here which is an AI. And they, they're all honestly, Toby. I know I sound Team James. Well, I'm, there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of Team James, but they're not real. So there there is no. Someone said I'll give you ten. Someone said on Twitter I think it was ten thousand dollars if you can find one that's real, and no one ever has. Well, the one I'm looking at now is on Vogue's website and um, has a picture of. Uh, Michelle Obama pregnant um, at an awards ceremony. And the credit is Rex, which is a pretty respectable photo agency. And um, it dates to 2016. I don't think we had the AI technology to create these deep fakes in 2016, uh, unless you're claiming that this page is faked and it wasn't actually 
doesn't actually date back to a real picture in 2018. Hmm. I'll send I can't this. find this one. Um, uh, I'll send it to you. Um, okay, but, what's, uh, what's yeah, happened to me? I can assess it. I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you, yeah. But she looks pretty pretty pregnant in this picture. Looks pretty We're going to live um, assess this, guy. This is a high-level <laughs> podcast. This is highbrow <laughs> stuff here. Um, hang so on. No, 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 no. The one you sent me here isn't even Michelle Obama. This yeah, is Tika, I think it is. This is Tika, Tika Sumter. Tika Sumter may well, play Michelle her, Obama on screen. No, no, that's not, but, that's, but then it says, but her red carpet maternity style is all her own. I think the her there refers to Michelle Obama, and that picture is of no, Michelle Obama. That's not her. You can look at the picture and see it's not her. It's this Tika just, woman. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. No, it is. <laughs> it is. No, no, you won't find one. Well, there's more pictures. Hang on. Uh, look, if you click click on the arrow, yeah, they're all pictures of Michelle Obama pregnant. Look, click on the arrow beneath the picture. No, there's none of them of are her. Them. No, none of them Aren't are her. They? Well, they're all the actress, are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Toby's eyesight's struggling a little bit, guys. That's why he wears those big glasses. You have to try harder than that, Toby. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't want, I'm not, I've got no agenda here. Michelle Obama just happens to be a man called Michael. I mean, good luck to him. But uh, Obama's gay. And the only problem is I don't want to end up like Joan Rivers, who famously said this, didn't she? And then mysteriously died. And that's the real conspiracy, Toby. Why did Joan Rivers die just after saying it? Have you heard that one? No. What, what did oh, she say? I've seen that. Yeah, Joan Rivers is in a famous clip. She says, we already have had our first... Uh, what did she say? I can't remember. Someone asked the question about the, the female president or whatever. But she, I can't remember why, she, why that would be relevant. But she says, she says that... Everyone knows Michelle's a, a, a man in, or trans. She doesn't use the word trans. She uses a more colloquial word, but she says that. And then some people say, well, how come she died on the operating table in a sort of routine operation shortly after? Now, I don't necessarily go as far as that, but she did say, we all know it. Michelle's trans, you know, it's not, a, it's, it's okay. And she says it, she says, we all know it. And, you know, I, I don't want to get Epstein for saying that, but uh, I, it's just out there as a kind of, it, this isn't even controversial anymore, Toby. Sort of <laughs> sounds pretty controversial to me. <laughs> you know, funny is actually, I actually talked about this. Maybe I should move on. But I actually talked about this on my old podcast with Francis, the one that Constantine watched every episode of. Then, then, then you used our same producer, co-host, and concept. While I'm saying things that will get me in trouble, <laughs> and we actually talked about is Michelle Obama man years ago, like 2016, 2017. So it's been it's been in my head for a while. But um, yeah, you need to do some more research on this topic. If you can find me a non-AI picture. Of Michelle okay. Obama pregnant. I will give you not ten thousand dollars, but I'll give you maybe, I don't know, five quid or something. But <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not rich enough for this. But um, anyway, that was that story. Maybe we should take it all out for legal reasons. I don't know. I hear they're quite powerful. But um, that was our American section, pretty much. I think that's it. Should we do? Should we do an ad? Yeah, let's do an ad. Uh, let's do an ad. Um, so uh, this is an ad for the Stack Assistant. So the U.S. Treasury says it'll be broke by June unless its credit limit is raised for the 23rd time in 25 years. Annual interest on their 30 plus trillion dollar debt will add a trillion more. Overspending adds two more. Unfunded benefits need 200 trillion more. They're short $1.5 million for every taxpayer. So the U.S., like the U.K., is a zombie economy as interest due exceeds discretionary revenue on huge spiraling debts. They must print or borrow more. But from whom? Global GDP is only 90 trillion and global debt is over 300 trillion. It's zombies all the way down. Printer is coming. 
The flat money Ponzi scheme is collapsing, and Bitcoin, immutably unprintable and backed by maths, will rise. Skeptical? At the Stack Assistant, we offer free advice to help stack your first SATs, as the subunits of Bitcoin are called, and move your stack into secure self-custody. Email the Stack Assistant on the Stack Assistant, all one word, at pm.me. That's the Stack Assistant at pm.me. If you want to get some expert guidance in how to start uh, moving into Bitcoin, uh, which in the Stack Assistant's view cannot come soon enough to protect your financial well-being. All right. Well, now let's go over to Will with our top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will Jones, editor of The Daily Skeptic, and as usual, we have some excellent stories. Firstly, Princess Anne says lockdown stole Prince Philip's final years. What about that, Will? Yeah, this is an amazing intervention from uh, Princess Anne, the Princess Royal. That's the king's sister, uh, the late queen's uh, daughter, eldest daughter. And, And she says that the COVID lockdown, as you say, robbed her father, Prince Philip, that's the, obviously the queen, late queen's husband, of social interactions before his death. Uh, she said that lost conversations uh, would have kept Prince Philip interested and saying that the switch to online didn't work uh, for everyone. And she says that there's a lot of the people who would have gone to see him and come and talk to him and have conversations that would have kept him interested, that he lost that. Uh, and she says that I'm sure there are a lot of families who will tell you the same thing for the for the older generation, losing those contacts, going online, didn't do that for everybody. And isn't that obviously true? And I think she speaks for millions of families of, in this country and around the world who, who lost so much social contact, so much of what kept them sane, what kept them healthy, uh, what kept them interested, as she says, and with hope. Uh, and surely that contributed to the decline, the mental decline, the health decline, of, uh, of, of thousands, uh, millions of, of older people. Uh, Prince Philip, of course, was uh, 99, I believe. Uh, so extremely old, of course. Uh, but, uh, but even so, uh, he, he'd been very vigorous uh, up until the pandemic. So this was, this was a major decline and a, a major impact on him. And, and in fact, uh, the Princess Royal was also asked about that unnerving image of her mother, uh, the Queen, uh, alone at her father's funeral, and um, and she was asked, she was asked about that, and and she was asked if it was thievery, and she said yes, you're quite right, agreeing that it was thievery, and in, she says in some ways I'm glad we didn't see that at that moment. When you see that photograph, it's much worse somehow. But actually, a lot of people did see it at that moment that the Queen being alone at that funeral was completely heartbreaking and completely cruel, and and should never have been should never have been the case that those restrictions prevented people from having proper send offs and proper funerals. But it's interesting that Anne says that that they didn't see it at the time. So it shows that the groupthink and the bubble mindset that they were that they had at the time that they just didn't see the impact of these things were having in the same way and they have to look back on it. But a lot of us saw it at the time and it is, um, and it, and it is shocking, it was shocking. Uh, and hopefully this is part of ordinary people waking up and seeing that these things should never have been done and, uh, and shouldn't be repeated. Yeah, it was shocking and disgusting. And Princess Anne is absolutely right to say this and it's great that she has. And uh, she really is the people's favourite, I think. 
And should we do this other story that was kind of absurd that the World Health Organization declares COVID no longer a global emergency, but it's still a pandemic, they say. It's kind of, there's a meme, I don't know if you've seen it, where people are talking in a corner, then someone chips in and says something, then they just do a big thumbs up to them and just carry on talking. And it's kind of like, yeah, bro, we don't really care. It was it was over ages ago to any normal people, but they're finally catching up and declaring it over. Yeah, crazy story, this. The World Health Organization finally let go of the idea that it is that COVID is a is an emergency. This was the emergency that was declared, the global emergency, uh, so-called, that was declared uh, in January 2020, uh, has finally ended. Just shows uh, once again how how the World Health Organization is very uh, very quick to announce these emergencies and announced it in January 2020 when there was basically no. Uh, no real disease anywhere except in Wuhan, um, and has only declared it over more than three years later, nearly three and a half years later. Uh, and we also know, of course, that the World Health Organization was very quick to declare a public health emergency over monkeypox. That happened uh, last year. Uh, totally, totally crazy, of course. Hardly anyone affected by that. I mean, who's talking about that now? Who was even really talking about it at the time? Just them. But that's yet another global health emergency. That one's not been declared over. So that one's still ongoing. So, you know, keep hold of all your emergency rations for that one, Nick. Uh, but they have finally declared it over. As you say, no one else was really talking about it. No one else is thinking about it. And yet here they are trying to catch up. But even more ludicrous is that they're still saying it's a pandemic. So while they've rescinded the emergency declaration from January 2020, the pandemic declaration from March the 11th, 2020, has not been rescinded. That is still ongoing. So even though it is not an emergency pandemic, it is still, believe it or not, a pandemic uh, because they say, well, it's still affecting people all over the world. So totally crazy, totally ludicrous. But this is the organization that our politicians are set on giving huge amounts of power over, well, public health, self-declared public health emergencies, Nick. It uh, doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Yeah, and we talked about this on Headliners on GB News and Andrew Doyle said, well, they won't be able to get away with the same policies as easily next time, he implied. And I said, well, I'm not so sure because polls show that People, especially young people, still want lockdowns. So although to us it feels like this is ridiculously late and silly, but, you know, who knows what they'll do next time. Yeah, all the restrictions, you have to remember, they were according to the polls. And I think, unfortunately, we have to believe the polls uh, to some degree this time always showed that the lockdown restrictions were ridiculously popular, really, really popular at the time. And actually recent polls, um, too, have showed uh, that they continue to be uh, popular. The majority of people still believe that the government was right to do and had to do and should have done what it did. And actually, a significant minority think that they should have done uh, more and gone harder and faster. And that's also the the conclusions of a lot of the inquiries uh, and reports that people put out. And I, and I I fear that it will likely be the conclusion of the of the public inquiry as well. Although we we will wait to see what that finally comes out with. But the idea that the the only mistakes were not going hard enough, fast enough. Unfortunately, lockdownism restrictions. Uh, all of this nonsense. It's, it's gone away because because people no longer believe that COVID warrants it. But the idea of it being the thing that should be done, that it was right to do it, and that what we should do in the future, that hasn't gone away at all, unfortunately. And we're going to have to keep pushing hard uh, for this. There are glimmers of hope with this, with this, like we were just saying a few minutes ago with, with the Princess Anne intervention. There's some suggestion that people are starting to think that maybe not everything that was done was necessarily a good idea. But those are glimmers. There is still a lot of evidence that a lot of people are really clinging to these ideas. 
Yeah, and sticking with COVID madness, let's do this one. The Polish health minister tells Pfizer delivery of any more vaccines pointless and asks for money back. Yeah, this is the uh, extraordinary story. Uh, now that the World Health Organization has announced the end of the emergency, the Biden administration also has um, has finally decided to end its remaining restrictions, such as the vaccine restriction on travelers, as we talked about uh, last time. So uh, with, with the ending of these things, but uh, what a lot of countries are realizing is that their contracts do not come to an end. Uh, their contracts for vaccines, for hundreds of millions of doses of vaccines, do not come to an end. Uh, just because the emergency is declared over, that those are still those contracts are still very much in force. They are still due to receive hundreds of millions of doses of vaccines. Uh, that's just this year and next. And because they're not needed, of course, uh, EU member states have been trying to adjust the contracts, uh, but not without much success. This has all been kept uh, secret out of respect for the negotiations and the, pri- the pri- privacy of the of the agreements. Uh, but the Polish health minister has broken ranks and broken cover and said that he is that he is forced to conclude the company, that's Pfizer, is not prepared to show a satisfactory level of flexibility and make any realistic proposals and calls on them to live up to its responsibility towards EU citizens to work in good faith towards a solution that is fair for everyone. And it seems that Poland wants to continue to believe that the pharmaceutical industry is not only about money. Well, unfortunately, they may be in, or they they're going to be in for a very rude awakening on that score. So, your countries, governments trying to wriggle out, and the Polish government breaking ranks and uh, and really ex- exposing just how much they're going to have to uh, that they're going to have to pay. And in fact, the and what he said is that the deal that Pfizer is offering the states is that they'll reduce the total quantity of the outstanding orders. So not all of them, they'll just deliver fewer of the vaccines that no one wants in exchange for half the price of each dose that is not produced. And Poland has complained, uh, the the health minister this is, complained that that's a charge for literally non-existent doses that that were never produced and will never be produced and that don't cost Pfizer a penny. Well, yeah. That is what it is, and that is uh, the pharmaceutical industry, I'm afraid. Yeah, and there was a very interesting part in the sort of intro to this article, which was more talking about the restrictions in the US, where he writes, as in the beginning, so in the end, the pandemicist will give you always and forever the maximum virus suppression and the maximum vaccination that is politically possible, not what is prudent or has any hope of achieving anything or what has evidence in its favor, but simply the maximum that they can give you for as long as they can give it to you. I think that was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, so that, this is you're quoting the the article that we ran by Eugippius. This is the uh, uh, the German uh, pseudonymous, pseudonymous uh, blogger uh, Eugippius, and uh, that, I thought that was from the um, Polish uh, article. Yeah, the um, so this is this written by Eugippius, uh, and and what, what you've just quoted is written by uh, written by him. It's his comment on the pandemicists. Uh, so and so this is uh, so in a way he's he's blaming here the. The governments themselves that uh, have have so it, so so the governments the Polish government may be trying to blame Pfizer uh, and rightly so for ripping them off and not letting them wiggle out of uh, wriggle out of the contracts that they've they've signed. I mean they they signed these contracts more for them. Uh, but Eugippius pointing out that actually it's the it's the people in the governments themselves who signed these contracts and it was all part and parcel of the ridiculously over the top reaction that they did so in a way they only have themselves to blame and 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 as he says they'll only do more of the same again so you know this is uh 
history is going to keep repeating itself unless we can somehow get some more sense into responses to these uh, to these events. Yeah, sorry, I got a bit confused there because he's written both of these. He's written the Polish Health Minister one, but he's also written this piece, German government admits it has no evidence face masks work. That's right. Yeah, double billing from Eugippius this week. Uh, he is he is a, he is a bit of a genius. We don't know who he is. Uh, he writes uh, the Play Chronicle uh, on on Substack, um, and uh, and this is the second story from him. Uh, he's based in Germany, hence hence it having a um, a German and a European uh, focus to his to his writing. Um, and on this and this story is about the health uh, minister uh, Karl Lauterbach. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, but that's what I'm going with. Who has uh, he's he, He's the, essentially the uh, the German Matt Hancock. He's but he's still in post. He was the health minister throughout uh, the lockdowns. Uh, very very enthusiastic about all the draconian restrictions, including masks. But the uh, the vice president of the Bundestag has managed to prize out of him the crucial admission that they have no evidence that masks work. Uh, he says the effectiveness of individual measures cannot be examined in isolation. Uh, but only in conjunction with the other measures in place at any given time. I was about to attempt a German accent and then thought better <laughs> of it. Uh, th- but uh, this this crucial this crucial admission uh, that they they really didn't have any evidence, and yet they imposed these these mandates, the, these draconian authoritarian mandates, forcing school children, uh, people, um, old people, people in in caring professions, and huge numbers of people uh, to to wear. Uh, these and the population in general uh, to wear these rags, uh, the, <laughs> these damp pieces of cloth uh, over their over their mouths for for hours on end, uh, with in order to supposedly to prevent infections. As we know, the the studies do not support that, and and the and the minister himself has now admitted that they don't really have evidence for this. They just brought it in. Uh, he doesn't explain why they brought it in, but we know why they they brought it in because they wanted to be seen to be doing something, uh, and because. It has a psychological impact on making it seem like there's a pandemic going on, and encourages therefore uh, people to do what they're what they're told. Uh, so, um, so yeah, cr- crucial admission. And in fact, Eugippius also quotes uh, from Anthony Fauci's recent statement to the New York, New York Times. Uh, to, uh, similarly, uh, and being even more specific, says at the population level, this is Anthony Fauci. Uh, at the population level, masks work at the margins, maybe ten percent. Now that is itself, as Eugenia says, a baseless claim. There's no, there's no good evidence uh, for that assertion either. But even if you take that as being true, ten percent. I mean, that isn't what what people were being told. That is not what people were told that masks would stop them getting infected. You know, making you. 10% less likely to get infected. Well, that's a that is not at all what the idea of wearing masks was based on and it can't and it surely wasn't what the idea of mandating them for hours and hours and hours uh, and uh, people of all ages uh, to wear them. Uh, so good. I mean, in a way, you know, let's let's be glad that the uh, that these key people from the pandemic are making these admissions. They're actually they're actually in a way being being honest um in um to to some degree. Um, at, at this point, you know that's good. But will it make a difference uh, next time? I mean, you've, you've got you've got to think it won't because this evidence was there in the first place, and they just keep changing their story all the time anyway. And, and as we know, they initially said that masks w- didn't work, and then changed their story, and people just went along with that. So, so next time, who knows what they'll do? Uh, but you can be pretty assured that it won't be based on evidence, and any statements they make at the moment at this point in time will just be completely forgotten. Yeah, and I really liked Eugippius' uh, comment on that. He said, you have to think of propaganda like a big machine. 
somebody has to plug it in and it draws a lot of electricity, but with the right inputs, it can dazzle a lot of people. The problem is that sooner or later, the deception isn't worth anybody's time or energy anymore. And so somebody must also shut it off. It looks like nobody bothered with any kind of messaging exit strategy. So we've entered a very weird period wherein the public health leviathan has ceased rehearsing its crazy pandemic myths, leaving the ever-shrinking minority of deranged Covidians to their own devices. I thought it was very well put. I mean, people have sort of let it drop away. Some people have sort of maintained the narrative that the vaccine saved us. Thank God we can now move on, but it was the move on, but it was the vaccine. And, you know, but the whole thing is just sort of crumbled. And much in the way he says that, it's just lost the energy of, of the sort of political nonsense behind it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very strange period, as he says, and he has a way of uh, putting things uh, that really makes you think, yeah, that's exactly uh, what what it's like. Um, yeah, this very weird period where there's no longer the energy behind these these myths that are falling away. But as I say, you can be sure that these myths will come, come rushing back uh, should there be uh, another pandemic scare that they manage to convince everybody to be uh, mortally afraid of. Oh, yeah. They can get the machine out and crank it up again. All right. Well, thanks for those, Will. Great stories. And no doubt we'll catch up with you again next week. Brill. Thanks, Nick. All right. That was Will. Toby, do you want to do our second ad? Yes. So our second ad is from our loyal sponsor, Thor Holt. The adventures and freedom of Thor's Scottish island upbringing bleeds into who he is now as advisor, coach, and enterprise partner. Little Thor's world was the island. Total freedom, freedom to climb cliffs, shoot guns, ride motorbikes, sail and boat through caves to fish, perched on rough wooden benches around the croft house table, paraffin tilly lamp hissing overhead, elbows out with his brothers like little Vikings at feast, ready to rip into home-reared meat and no-holds-barred debate. Now approaching 50 years on the planet, Thor remains committed to freedom and adventure. He's awake to the world's darker truths, but stays in tune with commercial reality. He's no flat earther, but if you are, he'll hear you out. Thor would welcome free-thinking, sceptical new connections and potential venture partners at linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt or at thorholt.substack.com because your profits could beat their inflation-pillaged wages or meagre universal basic income paid via central bank digital currency. Connect today at linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt. Well, Thor's gone full Thor in that advert, hasn't he? Um, Thanks, Thor, as ever. And now let's do everyone's favourite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, I had a couple of Pete Wokes, but I'm sort of down to one because I was going to use the Bridgerton woman as a Pete Woke. We've already covered that, saying the balcony was terribly white. I suppose you could say also Starmer's claim that no one cares about Woke stories is Pete Woke. But the one I've gone with is the Grey's Pub that we discussed in the past that discussed the, what were displayed, sorry, what we're now apparently calling golly dolls. And they had to close after a supplier boycott. So you'll remember they had these golly dolls and then this was a terrible outrage and we needed 15 police officers or whatever it was for six, no, was it six officers for 15 dolls? It was something, some absurd ratio. And um, a Heineken UK spokesperson said it told the pub on 20th of April to stop serving its beer and that it would stop supplying materials such as glasses and said in a statement, after being made aware of the abhorrent display feature in the White Hart Inn, we advised the pub owners that we want nothing more to do with them. They go against everything we stand for. Of course, famously, Heineken has incredible 
values and principles <laughs> as a bland beer that no one cares about. So it, it's just this new kind of thing of, of punishing. It's a new kind of cancel culture, isn't it? And they said, we believe pubs should be places of inclusivity and respect for all people, regardless of their race, ethnicity, religion, or gender. And there is a whole thing about the the um, sort of etymology, would that be the word, the origins of the golly that are not actually racist necessarily. It's to do mm. with officers being in, was it Egypt? It's, it's all a bit, I can't remember the exact story, but there's a claim that they're not even racist. But anyway, yeah. Cameron National Chairman Nick Antona said, we believe pubs are for everyone. There is never a place for discrimination. Carlsberg spokesman said the company believe pubs should be an enjoyable place for everyone. Whilst we do not directly supply the pub in question, after being made, made aware of the police investigation, we contacted our third party distributor to make our views clear. We believe that all venues that serve the public, including pubs, should be inclusive and welcoming to everyone, regardless of their race, ethnicity, religion or gender. And more stuff like this in serve. Everyone started saying this. We take matters of equality and diversity seriously, blah, blah, blah. They all cancelled them and stopped supplying them because of these dolls. Isn't this peak woke, Toby? Yeah, I think it's pretty bad. It's a shame to see, you know, um, the couple who ran the pub have to give up the lease. Um, And it's as though the reaction is as if they put up a notice outside the pub saying, you know, no dogs, no blacks, no Irish, which, of course, was a notice that used to appear uh, on many pubs um, in, you know, earlier parts of our history uh, in the last century. Um, uh, But there isn't any evidence, I don't think, that anyone was being excluded uh, from, what's it called, the white white horse. Um, uh, They they weren't saying, you can't drink here unless you're white. It's as though the the brewing company's camera are reacting as though they are, you know, they were members of the Ku, Ku Klux Klan and excluded anyone who wasn't white um, uh, or heterosexual from drinking in their pub, which, you know, there's no evidence of that at all. Um, but I think uh, there is something slightly odd about this story. And the odd thing is that the um, wife of the husband and wife couple who were managing the pub has had to kind of do all the talking in front of the media. Um, and the husband has been AWOL. He's in Spain and um, hasn't yet seemingly returned from Spain. And that's why he's unavailable. It may just be, you know, an excuse that's given by her because he doesn't want to talk to the press. Understandable. Uh, But if he really is in Spain, he hasn't bothered to get a flight back to deal with the collapse of his business and presumably his livelihood. That is a little bit odd. It's like, you know, you would have thought that he'd want to be there and not just leave his wife to kind of face the music. Uh, so there's something a little bit fishy about that, I think, but maybe I'm being mm. uncharitable. Okay. And the origin thing I was talking about was that the um, when the British soldiers were in Egypt, the Egyptian laborers worked for them and they wore the insignia, insignia WOGS, working on government service. British troops called them ghouls, an Arabic word for a desert ghost. Egyptian children played with black dolls, which they sometimes gave to British soldiers or bought dolls from children. The dolls were later called Gooliwogs and later Gollywog. How much truth in this theory is not known, but I've seen that theory raised. I don't know if that makes it d- better or not, but there's this people say it's free market capitalism and they'll just say, oh, you know, free market, whatever. But it, it's pretty lame suppliers shutting down a pub effectively for, for some dolls, I think. But Toby, what were your peak wokes? Uh, so um, my first peak woke is, I don't know if you saw this, but the... WHO, the World Health Organization, um, claims that the phrase responsible drinking um, should be phased out. And they don't like it for two reasons. Um, The first is that um, 
it shames those who fail to control their alcohol intake when, according to The Who, they're just victims of the low price and easy availability of alcohol. Uh, And the second reason is, and this is the more sinister reason, is that the phrase responsible drinking implies that you can drink responsibly. It overlooks the inherent evils of alcohol, according to the WHO. So this feels like, you know, the beginning of a WHO campaign to outlaw alcohol. There's no such thing as responsible drinking. All drinking is bad. And the only reason people drink is because they've been duped by these evil alcohol companies and their manipulative advertising. Um, So quite sinister. And uh, yeah, something that we should probably start worrying about uh, because we know how powerful the WHO are. Yeah, the one one that always bothered me was that is a really weird take on it. The one that they've got there. The one that bothered me bothers me is gamble responsibly, as Ray Winston's always telling us, because you know, gambling means take risky action in the hope of a desired result. So it's a ridiculous oxymoron to gamble responsibly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, see, this drinking thing is a, is a bit different. What's your other one? Uh, my other one is um, I don't know if you saw this one, but um, uh, the Madrid Open um, had. Um, uh, got Lacoste to design these new outfits for its ball girls. So it's a tennis tournament, obviously. And I thought the outfits were kind of fetching. So they were crop tops and mini skirts. Um, uh, and um, uh, lots of uh, people complained, even though the Madrid the Madrid Open is one of the few tennis tournaments that um, pays equal amounts in prize money to the uh, winner of the women's competition as it does to the winner of the or the winners of the men's competitions. So, um, uh, so it's you know it's bent over backwards to try and accommodate these feminist critis- critics of sexism in sport, but they've jumped on the Madrid Open for uh, this tone deaf um, blunder of commissioning these quite sexy ball girl outfits from Lacoste, and it's been described as sexist violence. So, in an attempt to um, uh, uh, do some damage control. Um, the Madrid Open, the organisers of the Madrid Open, got Lacoste to design these new outfits for the ladies' final, and the new outfits are just hideous. No, no, no self-respecting woman, let alone a female adolescent, would wear. They kind of look like kind of weird pantaloons that they've got them in now um, <laughs> for the women's final, anyway. Um, so, yeah. Um, just felt like a ridiculous objection to, you know, I mean, and, and actually, I think um, one of the reasons that, that, that there's a problem with female participation in sport in schools is because adolescent girls um, hate the outfits. Um, you know, they just think they look absolutely hideous and they often do look kind of hideous. So I think actually making an effort to make the outfits look a little better, a little sexier, um, might actually encourage more more schoolgirls to participate in sports. So I think I think the feminists have called this one wrong. But I'm not quite sure about that sentence. It's, it's, I'm not sure how to unpack that that sentence. Hang on, making school. I'm not even going to go there. But what, uh, I haven't seen this one though, Toby. So I can't really comment and unless those pictures were more AIs. But I'll take your word for it. Um, I'm not sure which which is the most peak woke out of those, to be honest. But um, listener can decide which one's peak woke. We don't have a we don't have a peak base this week, but. Should we either go into reviews, Toby, or do or, or a quick plug for the Weekly Skeptic Live? Yeah, quick quick plug for the Weekly Skeptic Live. So um, it's coming up now. 
Um, it's uh, I think it's what it's um, it's Saturday week, isn't it? So May 20th at the Emmanuel Centre in Westminster. Very easy to get to from either St. James's Tube or Westminster Tube. Um, and uh, tickets now only to be sold out of VIP drinks tickets. So general admission tickets are still on sale, £25. I think there are something like about 20 tickets left. Um, yeah. So you need to get your skates on if you if you want to come. Um, and um, it should be a great event. Starts at uh, Doors open at 7. There's a pay bar there. Event starts at 7.30. It's going to be me, Will, Nick. We might even get a, a guest appearance from Jordan Peterson, um, maybe even Tucker Carlson. Um, and um, uh, it'll be half an hour of Q&A at the end. So if you want to accuse me of being a cuck um, uh, or part of the problem, feel free. I'll, I'll try and deal with it as best I can. James will like be in the audience. Put up with it every Monday. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, yeah, um, it should be a great event. Uh, so please, if you haven't yet bought a ticket and you want to come, buy a ticket. Yeah, it's your last chance. 20 tickets left. And I, that means I've now got to plan the event as well. I'm looking at my schedule going, when can I actually plan what we're going to say in this event? Because it all, all comes down to me, of course, guys. But it will, it will be good. I'll do it and it'll be a great event. I'll make sure of that. And Toby will also play a part and will. So, um, yeah, May 20th, Emmanuel Center. Get your tickets now, eventbrite.com, before the last 20 go. And I've been sent an email, Toby, just quickly during the recording of this podcast about martial arts, a quick correction. Dear Toby and Nick, great podcast again. Thanks. I listen to it without fail every week. Thank you very much. That and Dark Horse with Brett Weinstein and Heather, Heather Hying are now my must-listen podcasts every week. Well, that's good. I know Toby was careful to hedge his comments by saying that he was on shaky ground, but on the martial arts peak woke bit, you dropped a bit of a clanger. No biggie, but just for the record, Taekwondo is the third most popular martial art in the world behind MMA and karate. It's more popular than, for example, judo and kung fu. Taekwondo is Korean. Martial arts are not all associated with China and Hong Kong. And when Nick said, I don't know how much South Korea do martial arts, an entire country groaned. Taekwondo is their national sport. It's like saying, I don't know how much New Zealand do rugby. Well, they shouldn't groan because I literally just meant it. I was like, I actually don't know. I wasn't saying, I don't know if they do it, like in a kind of loaded way, meaning I doubt they do. I was saying, I don't know. I mean, it's not, what's wrong with not knowing? Obviously, the tweeter saying the commentator, not entirely means, should be sacked as an idiot. And the commentator wasn't being racist. Nick's Eric Cantona argument is right. I haven't seen the incident, but most good kicks look like martial arts, regardless of who does the kick. Anyway, I don't blame you guys at all. Martial arts is highly sophisticated, oh, specialized, sorry. So no reason for you to know this stuff. Just thought you might be interested. I did Taekwondo for 20 years, so that one stung a bit. And that's from Robert. Thank you, Robert. So I don't, I don't think I said anything wrong, but Toby kind of did. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah. I, I think I, I, yeah, I did admit to being on shaky ground at least. But uh, anyway, it's good to have an opportunity to uh, set the record straight. So thank you, Robert, for that comment. Yeah, we love we love setting the record straight and telling the truth. So a few reviews. Shall I read this one? Someone says, what London Calling used to be. Is this too controversial to read? Because I like James. Maybe I shouldn't read this, but it's quite good. It says, well, it's, I don't know. It says, I'm saying that from a place of love as three-fourth teams James and consequently 21-32 Nick, team Nick. How would you say that? 32nd? How would you? I don't know how you'd even say that. As he said, he's seven-eighth team James. I, my fractions got a bit confusing, guys. I'm not, math isn't my strong point. This show is now slowly replacing London Calling as the UK's number one political podcast. What do you mean slowly? On topic, funny, current, respectful disagreements and debate between ultimate normie, lol, just kidding, we all love Toby and all his work on free speech, trying to affect change and fighting the system by turning it against itself, and red-pilled and based Giga Chad, 
which must be me. And that's the sole reason I read that, not to have a bash at London Calling, because I wanted to read that bit. What's a anyway, Giga Chad? Giga Chad is a meme, Toby. It's like the ultimate man. It's like this, it's this fictitious guy who's like a got an incredible jawline and he's he's totally stacked and ripped and he just does everything right. He's a great guy, but he's also like this huge sort of perfect, perfect kind of based bloke called the Giga Chad. You not come across that? <laughs> no, I'm surprised. He looks, looks, ex- and you're the Giga. You're a Giga I'm the Giga Chad, okay. but more for my opinions, I think. But um, <laughs> I am quite, quite strong as well. Ultimate well-researched news review from Dr. Will Jones, all sprinkled with top banter. And then he goes into sort of why he doesn't like London Calling anymore. We don't need to read that bit. Another one, great list, good listening. Okay, not great, good listening, guys. Even the epically, epically long ones. I can't talk suddenly. Sorry about that. Storming podcast. Just solid conversational comment each week. I'm a bit Joby on Mondays with London Calling. He means Team Joby. But solidly Team Nick later in the week. With the revs on a Friday as well, things are really looking up. I think he means my interview with uh, Reverend Jamie Franklin, which you can find on the current thing. People are loving that episode. Anyway, thanks, chaps. Toby's an absolute legend as well, by the way. Unbelievably patient with James. So there you go. This podcast is a breath of fresh air. Thank you for your hard work and airing some common sense views. That was a separate one from Modern Dinosaur. There's so many top of the pods. Love this podcast. There's too many to read out. One that says I could smell the bread saying don't eat sandwiches. They could not smell the bread. The only reason they knew I was eating a sandwich is because I said it. I had it muted when I was eating it. But anyway, there's, there's one negative one, Toby. I think I've, I think I've built you up enough. There's one negative one that says Toby Young is a closet ally. And this is from Planet Normal Norman. It gives it one star. Three times now I've heard Toby Young say cishet, and three times I've had to switch off in disgust, thereby missing out on Nick's musings, which are the only reason I listen, if I'm honest. Sorry, I, did, I forgot that bit was in there. Can you please stop being such a useful idiot and stop com- cooperating with the malevolent ideologues' desire to infect our language and change the way we describe men and women? Now, I thought that was very harsh, Toby, because, of course, you're employing it as a joke, as using inverted commas. This person has then left a separate review on my podcast, a current thing, saying, by the way, even if it's a joke, it's still bad. <laughs> but I, I think that's a bit harsh on you, don't, don't, you, don't you think? That's yeah, a bit no, harsh? I, I think I, I think um, I thought it was clear that I was using using it ironically. I think maybe when I say it to you and we can see each other, I do actually put the air quotes around it, but the listener can't hear that. So um, maybe we need we need some sort of device. It's like uh, you know, it would help if on Twitter you could use a typeface um, called irony but there isn't one yeah. um, uh, because uh, people often get into trouble because things they intended as jokes are taken literally. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, rest assured, um, I'm not using the term cishet because I buy into the idea that sex is a spectrum and only assigned at birth. Well, yeah, and maybe if only there was some way of displaying what we actually appeared like, maybe we could work on inventing that technology. But, um, but, but by the way, you know, this person who also reviews my other podcast and gives it five stars says, um, I like him, that's you, Toby. But anyone who plays into woke hands by using the term cishet, which he does with regularity, drives me insane. It doesn't matter that it may be in jest. It becomes common parlance all the same. Uh, I'm not sure I totally buy that. I think if you're saying it totally in jest, I think that's okay, isn't it? But anyway, those are the reviews. Overwhelmingly positive. Can't please everyone. Toby's a bit woke. We know this, but it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> battle between right and left every every week. Uh, sorry, Toby, but uh, we're both part of the anti woke coalition. But it's important to you know uh, uh, remember it is a coalition. Uh, it's possible for people who don't agree about everything to come together and fight this new authoritarianism, temporarily putting any differences um, aside because that is the dragon, the most important dragon that needs to be slain. Absolutely. Well put. And we don't need to be the purity police and get too obsessed with our differences. Absolutely. 
And thank you for everyone that's listened. I mean, we're hitting in great numbers, tremendous numbers, like amazing. I mean, the, you know, we're doing like nearly, what is it, 25K in a, in a week or something. And, and then they go above that after the first week. So it's, it's, it's top 1% of podcasts in the world. Number 16th, I haven't checked again, but it was number 16th. British political podcast on Apple, wasn't it? Spanking Navarra yeah. and uh, Owen Jones and uh, Russell spanking Brown. them, and, and, and we 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 did have a. It was taking a slightly uh, an inordinately long time to download the podcast, but uh, right. I think we fixed that problem. But of course, we have anyone listening to this will know that we fixed the problem because this podcast will have downloaded so quickly. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, glad we fixed that problem. So yeah, sorry about that, guys. There was from episode twenty-seven. There was a bizarre problem where the downloads were really really slow. But I've tested it since. We've now resolved it. They're ultra fast now. Should be fine. Any other problems, let us know. And I believe that's it, Toby. Make sure you get your tickets, eventbrite.com, May 20th, Weekly Skeptic Live. That was quite a long outro, but I think we covered everything. Anything else, Toby? Nope, that's it. Yeah, I forgot to say how to get tickets. Very important. Yeah, eventbrite.com or eventbrite.co.uk. Google that and the words Weekly Skeptic Live, and you'll be able to snap up one of the few remaining tickets. All right, but until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical.